What would it be like if you had to qualify for marriage? Think about it for just a moment. What if being a husband or wife was like meeting the qualifications for a high-ranking job? I know it's silly, and nothing like that would ever happen, but it's something to ponder. If someone placed you under the scrutiny of a relationship competency exam, how would you do? Do you qualify to lead a wife? Do you qualify to follow a husband? Would you qualify to be married? Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you're here. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of this podcast is, Do You Qualify to Have a Spouse? I'm really serious about this. I've got a lot of things I want to share with you, and perhaps you have some things you want to share with me. I would love for you to do that. We have a free community forum. You're welcome to come to our forums and ask any question that you wish. If we can serve you in any way, that would that would really be fantastic. I want to uh, give a, a shout out to Rick Elwood. I met Rick yesterday for a couple of hours. He is from Colorado, and he was traveling in Greenville to see a Clemson Tiger football game. There's forgiveness for that, of course. And we met. He's been following us for uh, quite a while from what he told me, and he said that he had shared a couple of articles with with some friends, and, and they came back to him, and the Lord had really helped them, and, and they wanted to interact more with our material. I wanted to share that with you because I was encouraged, and I'm sure you are too, because that's what folks are doing. They are sharing our content with others, and I hope that you do the same thing. Let them know about this podcast. Give them the articles. These these resources are free, and we want you to share them broadly, and don't be ashamed about it. If you have a friend who's going through a particular issue, more than likely we have written on it. But if I have not, well, you can come to our forums and you can ask. Our forums are brought to you by people like Rick and others who help support this ministry, and I'm so grateful for those who believe in what we do and and they want to underwrite it so that everybody has the opportunity to receive these resources, and I'm glad that you're able to do that. Please share what we're doing here with others so they can benefit as well. I want to talk about this idea of qualifying For a marriage, if someone did place you under the scrutiny, under the light of a relationship competency exam, I guess I need to be able to to say it, but would you qualify to be a spouse? I mean, the closest thing that we have to this in our Christian culture is premarital counseling, but that is mostly a, a collection of meetings to rubber stamp the inevitable, the young couple, They may be trying to listen, but the outcome is already predetermined. They're going to get married no matter what you say, and the overwhelming majority of them do, but it still begs the question. If you you put your hope in premarital counseling, well, that's really a bad idea. You need more than that, and I do hope that this podcast will help to shed some light on some of the things that you need to to think about if you're getting married and if you are married and and not doing too well in your marriage then this podcast is for you. Also I have embedded articles here. One of them's titled Essential Qualities of an Effective Husband. 
The other one is titled, One Essential Quality of an Effective Wife. I have a third one here, Setting Aside Your Desires to Lead Your Husband. Now, I'm not seriously suggesting a relationship competency exam, but I am suggesting that we need to give more attention to what it means to be a spouse There needs to be more mature critique and and practical solutions to this real problem of marriage dysfunction. Now, when I talk about marriage dysfunction, I'm not talking about the dysfunction of of those who don't, don't know the Lord. The world's problem is easy to understand. Their starting point is they must be born again. They cannot get away. They can't avoid marriage dysfunction because they don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them. They don't believe in God's Word as the practical tool to to help give them a roadmap to have a wonderful marriage. So I'm not talking about them when I talk about marriage dysfunction. I'm talking about the born-again ones, those who say God is their king, and they are willingly giving up everything to follow him. Those are the ones that I'm speaking to. Those are the ones that I interact with weekly. They come to us for help because one or both of the partners does not know to how, how to be a spouse. Think about it. I'm talking about believers, Christians, don't know how to be a spouse. We have the Spirit of God that's illuminating our minds. We have the Word of God that guides us in in all truth. We have the community of God, the local church, and the born-again ones, many of them do not know how to be a good spouse. There is a significant competency problem in these Christian marriages. The truth is they do not qualify to be married. It's a general assumption that if you're a male, you, you know how to be a husband. And if you're a female, you know, you know how to be a wife. But that is not true. The current divorce rate would say that it's a false continuum, meaning being a male equals being a good husband. The truth is, being a male or being a female does not automatically promote you to a competent husband or competent wife status. There is more involved in qualifying for marriage. Now, I have written scores of articles on being a husband and on being a wife. But in this podcast, I want to take a slightly different approach. I want to take Peter's word understand. He used this word understand in 1 Peter 3, 7, and I want to unpack it, not just for the husband to learn how to understand his wife, but for the wife to learn as well. Here's the text. Peter said in in 3, 7, he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This does apply to the wife as well. I mean, it make, this is common sense. The wife needs to understand her husband. Even though this verse is talking specifically to men, it would be unbiblical and, and weird and out of bounds to say that a wife shouldn't understand her husband. Most definitely she should. The word understand means precisely what you think it means. 
It means to understand. Do you understand your spouse? Wife, do you understand your husband? Husband, do do you understand your wife? In this podcast, I'm asking both. Do you understand the person you married? Do you know you married damaged goods? Do you know that you married a broken person? How well do you understand this? If you do not understand that your spouse came to you as a partially broken person, there is a good possibility you're going to mess up things. This kind of knowledge, this kind of understanding, and the willingness and humility to act on this knowledge is marriage is marriage altering. Think about I know that my spouse is broken. My spouse knows that I'm a broken individual, that I'm not entirely sanctified. Having this knowledge and being willingly and with humility that you want to act on it, it can really transform your marriage. It reminds me of the movie, The Hurt Locker. It was about a three-person explosive ordnance disposal team during the Iraq War. They would go to a town hoping to defuse a bomb. Marriage can be like that. If you don't know whether to cut the blue wire or the red wire, there might be an explosion in your home. This problem is what can make dating so foolish for some people. If half the current marriages blow up in divorce I'm talking about, how in the world can a teenager understand the intricacies of the opposite sex? Dating is setting them up for failure. Now, I'm aware that there are some exceptional teens out there who already know all you can know about the opposite sex. Omniscience is a marvelous thing, unless you're not. I hit omniscience when I was 19 years old. I was a late bloomer, and I've been going downhill ever since. And so I know that there are teenagers out there that no matter what you say, they, they, know, they know what they need to do. They know what they want. They know the opposite sex, and, and they're ready for the drama-filled dating life. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that most kids have not hit the level of omniscience. And there is more operative ignorance than real biblical understanding. Now, I'm not just writing this uh, article and doing this podcast for the teenagers who are thinking about dating. I'm talking about those of you who are ready to get married, ready to tie the knot. And for those who have already tied the knot, I'm asking you a very serious question. Do you qualify to have a spouse? I talked about your your spouse being damaged or broken. The first time we were damaged was, was at our birth. We were damaged by Adam. We were born corrupt, bent toward sin, tempted to fear, covered in shame. We came into this world messed up. Do you know your spouse entered into this world like you, a messed up person? Turn to your spouse and say, I am a messed up person. Yep. You married damaged goods. Nobody gets a free pass on this one, except for the Savior of the world. He was without sin, but we all came out of our mother's womb speaking lies. 
We call it being totally depraved, sinful through and through. How well do you understand this? And how comfortable are you helping your spouse overcome the damage they received at the hands of Adam and Eve? Because your spouse is a unique individual, here's another question. How discerning are you regarding the specific and particular ways your spouse has been messed up? You see, everybody's not equal. We're not messed up the same way to the same degree. Everybody comes out of the womb messed up, but nobody comes out messed up the same way. Though we are depraved through and through, our fallenness manifests differently. We are totally depraved, but we are uniquely fallen. Your spouse is unique and needs individual discipleship care to become Christ-like. God calls you to discern, to understand, as, as Peter was saying, where your spouse is and help bring them from that point to Christ-likeness. Paul talked about this idea of, of helping another person to become Christ-like. He said in Galatians 4.19, he says, I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, this is something you can turn to your spouse and say, I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Do you feel that way about your spouse? Do you understand their brokenness and, and the depth of their depravity and the need for you to cooperate with God in helping them so that they so that Christ could be formed in them? Paul was in anguish as he thought about how to help the Christians of Galatia. He wanted them to get to the place where there was a mature formation of Christ in them. I think most Christian parents understand this when it, when it comes to their children. Many of them, and I definitely would be included, spend a lot of time thinking and worrying and praying and fretting over our children, hoping there will be the forming of Christ in them. You can feel it when you, when you think about it in the parental context. Many, many of your parents, I imagine most of you parents feel it. You think, you worry, you pray, you fret. You're hoping Christ will be formed in them. That is the anguish that I'm talking about. I wonder how many spouses spend that kind of intellectual energy thinking about how to help their spouses to have Christ formed in them. The biggest problem that hinders this kind of humble discipleship is a person's breaking the two greatest commandments. They are to love God and to love others most of all. It is hard for some partners to put their spouses before themselves. Too many of them demand what they want while relegating their role as a discipler to an unimportant function. Nothing will blow up a marriage quicker than self-centeredness. And I know that there'll be many spouses listening to this podcast say, Rick, I get it, but it is a two-way street. I know. It is. Those of you, you know, here's the thing. Those of you who are humble will hear this podcast and want to respond to it. 
in that sense, you really don't even need to hear this because you're ready to go. You're ready to do something. You're the humble ones. But the people that need to hear it, the hard-hearted ones, they won't hear it that way. They'll hear it and they will focus on their other spouse and on their spouse and how they need to change. The ones that need it the most will be the ones that won't hear it like they should. Selfishness is contrary to the gospel. The gospel teaches us how to set aside our desires to help a broken person. This concept is what Christ did, and this is what he expects us to do. I would love for you to take the time to read Philippians 2, verses 3 through 10 specifically, as we read about Christ having this mind where he set aside what he had for something that was greater. Most of my marriage counseling is spent trying to press this kind of gospel thinking into the minds of folks in trouble. Not until they get the gospel right Will they get their marriage right? You cannot fix your relationship no matter how loud you yell or how much you demand. Your spouse was wholly and utterly broken down by Adam, and your spouse needs your help to overcome. Do you understand this? In some ways, this problem in your marriage is not about you. It's about your spouse and Adam, their pre-existing condition. Someone else caused the work that you have to do. Getting angry about the state of your spouse is not a wise approach to redemptive care. Now, there is a possibility your spouse had terrific parents and grew up in a near-perfect setting. Even so, the world also damaged your spouse. We call this their shaping influences. They are those things that happened to them that shaped them into the adults that they are today. Sadly, most of us who came into this world damaged by Adam incurred more damage by the nonsense that came into our lives as youngsters. Typically, the negative influences in our lives are more significant than the positive ones, and they tend to have more power over us than the positive ones. The condition of the human race is bent towards selfishness, we, we, which tends to lead, uh, leave children in vulnerable and hurt places. We understand the worst cases where sexual abuse and rape are involved But the more common types of shaping influences are negative shaping influences I'm talking about are distant dads or or angry dads or demanding moms or distracted moms. Those are powerful negative shaping influences in a child's life. Most of us did not have horrible backgrounds, but we were damaged nonetheless, even in subtle ways. My wife grew up in a Christian home, and she talked glowingly about her childhood but she was also negatively affected by her childhood. And our children, Rick and Lucia's children, are no different. No child will get from birth to marriage without being messed up in some way by the shaping influences in their lives. It's not possible. We're sinful people living among other fallen individuals in a sinful world. And there are demonic influences whose main job is to destroy lives. You have as about 
as much of a chance to walk through a car wash and not get wet as you have of not being shaped adversely by our corrupt world. The nature of sin and the tactics of the devil will not give you a free pass. By the time you get to the marriage altar, there will be double damage, damaged by Adam, damaged by the shaping influences in your life. And then there's sin's trifecta. It is hard for me to guard my heart in some marriage situations where the spouse refuses to understand what I'm saying here. For example, the angry husband or the demanding wife who refuses to be governed by the selflessness of the gospel, those types of people are challenging to help. This behavior has a triple damaging effect on the recipient, damaged by Adam, damaged by the world, the shaping influences that I was talking about, and then damaged by the person that you married. I have done this to my wife, too. In the first five years of our marriage, I was not attentive, not the way that I am now, to her by applying what I am saying here. And while I did not abuse her in the sense that people understand that word abuse, I was not mature in my care for her. I did not truly understand her the way I needed to understand The other complicating factor was my ongoing demands for her to meet my desires first. I was, I was more preoccupied with how she was responding to me than how I was systematically, intentionally, and pur- purposely getting into her business. That's what I should have been doing. I did not approach her like the boys in the hurt locker, delicately, carefully, intentionally, purposely, systematically. I lacked attention to detail, and inevitably I cut the wrong wire. Lucia felt it. One of the main ways I did not serve her was my lack of confession of sin against her. In the first five years of our marriage, I did not confess a single transgression that I remember to her, and neither did I ask her to forgive me for any of them. Of course, if I didn't confess anything to her, I was not asking for forgiveness from anything. If I were genuinely interested in her... Or maybe think about you. If you were genuinely interested in your spouse, you would be quick to remove the sins that you place on your spouse. It's like a teen and his car. He's careful to keep his car cleaned. Whenever there's a spot on it, he's quick to remove it. That's the way every spouse should be. If I cared about my wife... I would have been quick to remove the sin that I placed on her. How fast are you to remove your iniquities from your spouse? Think about defiling a double-damaged person. Damaged by Adam, damaged by shaping influences, whatever they may have been. And now you damage her, the trifecta, sin's trifecta. You are complicating the problem. You're digging a deeper hole, causing a more complicated effect. The title of this podcast is, Do You Qualify to Have a Spouse? Well, let's take a little turn here. I want to give you six things that can help you reverse the curse on your spouse As you come alongside your spouse, whether it's your husband or if it's your wife, regardless, here are six things that I want you to think about. Number one, concur. 
first of all, agree that your spouse is messed up. Now, some of you will agree too quickly and and maybe even too flippantly, but I'm talking about with sobriety, agree that your spouse is messed up, triply damaged by Adam, by the shaping influences of the world, and by you. She or he is not entirely sanctified. There are things wrong with your spouse. What are those things? Will you identify them? First, concur. Number two, confess. Make sure you're not compounding the situation by adding your nonsense on top of their problems. Lead your spouse by confessing your sin and seeking their forgiveness. And don't forget to seek God's forgiveness too. So number one, concur. Number two, confess. Number three, communicate. Once you adjust your mind to the reality of her struggles and temptations while humbly repenting, start talking about how you can serve your spouse. Tell your spouse your intentions, and and, and you both collaborate on a plan of sanctification. And that brings me to number four, collaborate. Your collaboration must be practical. Much of this plan will will be regularly talking to each other. One of the best things you can do for your spouse is to talk to her. Six things that will help you to reverse the curse of your spouse. One, concur. Your spouse is messed up. Two, confess your own sins. Don't compound the situation. Number three, communicate. Start talking. Number four, collaborate. Now you're working together. Number five, community. Let others into your world. Let them know you are like them, sinners in need of a grace-filled community to help you change. The nature of sin is to isolate. Don't fall for this trick of the devil. Bring your sin and your marriage into the light of a small community of friends and talk appropriately, biblically, but appropriately. Both of those things are go together. If you're talking biblically, you're talking appropriately. But you want to talk humbly and transparently, vulnerably, and appropriately, community. And number six, continue. After you set this podcast aside, perhaps you will read the article, but after you set it aside, I want you to continue to think about and discuss these things. I want you to develop your plan and implement it. I want to share with you just some of the things that Lucia and I do on a somewhat regular basis. These ideas are not God's way, okay, in that the Bible says, do this. The Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say, this is the way, walk it, walk in it, but it's our way a way we can practically apply the gospel to our lives and to our marriage. And my hope is this will give you clarity on what you can emulate, and you come up with your own ideas. This is not an exhaustive list, just some things at the end of this podcast that I want you to consider and possibly implement, but I really want you to be pneumatic. I want you to come up with your own things that are are perfect for you all, because what's perfect for us might not be perfect for you. But here's some things that we do that may help. One, there's hardly a day that goes by where one of us is not confessing our sin to each other. You must be a confessional home. Cannot overstate this. If you're not regularly confessing your transgressions to one another, then, well, you do have a problem. One of the ways that you can test that is by reading this article together. If you can't share this podcast or share this article, 
with your spouse, then your marriage is in trouble if you cannot talk about what I'm sharing with you. Number two, we regularly were asking each other, how is your soul? It's our way of asking, how are you doing today? It's, it's our way of having a heart check. It requires the other person to be honest. And so we are regularly confessing sin and regularly asking, how, how is the soul of the other person? Another is we go on regular dates. A fourth, we, we talk about our secret thoughts. Number five, we pray for each other. Number six, we ask how each other is applying the Sunday sermon personally. That's a very good question to ask. On your drive home Sunday morning, what did you hear? How did you apply it to your life? What is God doing in your heart? Here's some more. We show affection wherever we may be. We love to regularly grab and touch and generally flirt with each other. We are a flirting couple We hug, we kiss often. We seek to discern evidence of God's work in in the other's life and share what we are observing in the other person so that we can encourage the other person. We honor each other in public. We don't talk critically about the other person to, to just anyone who will listen to us. There's appropriate and biblical sharing. We regularly talk about what God is doing in our lives. We have lots of fun with each other. We laugh together, and we laugh at each other. We don't take ourselves that seriously. We hold hands a lot. We'll let each other know if we observe sin in the other person's life. There are many things, many other things that we do. But the title of the podcast, Do You Qualify to Have a Spouse? Thanks so much for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.